Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, I'm Kirk Megu, host of New Books in Politics. I also host my own podcast called Independent Thought and Freedom, where I interview some of the most interesting people from around the world who are shaking up politics, economics, society, and ideas. You can find it in the iTunes store or any of your favorite podcast providers. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel. Are you an academic who wants to get heard nationally? Check out my free training on how to use your intellectual authority to do so at becomeapublicintellectual.com. That's becomeapublicintellectual.com. You'll find the link below. And now, on to this week's episode. My guest today is the one and only Anne Coulter, author of Resistance is Futile, How the Trump-Hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind. Which we, will be which we will be discussing today. This is Ann Coulter's 13th New York Times bestseller over a period of 18 years. She lectures around the country, writes a nationally syndicated weekly column, and has more than 2 million fans on Twitter and Facebook. She's extremely controversial, and I dare say she loves it. I'm delighted to have her on the podcast today in what will hopefully be a different kind of conversation that she may normally have, but one that will be equally entertaining. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, great to have you here. You know, that's quite a record. 13 um, New York Times bestsellers. Is there any, in 18 years, I mean, so it's consistent. Is there any other political writer with such a string of consistent bestsellers? I can't think Why, of Why, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, though, um, as I think your audience will understand. 
Um, definitely not if we're only talking about authors who write their own books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of ghostwritten pieces of crap out there. Um, in fact, I was having dinner the other night with some lovely people. I mean, you know, he's a doctor. <laughs> I, he knows so much more than I do. Um, you know, if I have tennis elbow sometime, I'd like to be able to say, hey, could you help me here? And he had the audacity to cite <laughs> a Bill O'Reilly book. And I said, Dr. You wound me to the bone. <laughs> but I did follow up with him and send him a list of, um, well, you know, on the conservative side, I am a conservative, conservative authors whom I know have written their own books, researched their own books. Um, you know, if you like Thomas Sowell and Peter Schweitzer, Michael Fomento, um, but there are a fair number of them. It's just, I, 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 and you know, I'm sorry, I'm going on such a tear on this. I don't understand what satisfaction people get from putting out a ghostwritten book. So let's say it becomes a bestseller. So what? You didn't write it. Yeah, yeah. well, they're <laughs> just coasting on the reputation, obviously. They're using it for leverage. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, but really, on, I, I really want to know, I don't think there's anyone with any political writer with 13 New York Times bestsellers that's more like in the realm of fiction or something you know like a, I, I don't know dean Koontz or, or or you know michael lacari or something really not i i just think it, it's incredible it's um and not only that i mean you're a, you know you're a woman meaning that you know all the feminists and stuff uh, you know should be jumping up and down celebrating <laughs> <laughs> don't expect I, that to happen anytime soon exactly. but I, <laughs> well that's uh something i often point out part of the reason i've been able to write um so many um i think they're terrific books um is that i don't have to waste any time going around the country getting feminist awards <laughs> no one's given me any awards so okay i guess i'll write another book <laughs> I, but i just to, to well, and this a little bit more. Do you have some sort of formula or something? I mean, how do you do this? I, I am amazed every time you put one out and every time it gets on the New York Times bestsellers list. It, you must Thank have something you. worked out. You must have something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm driven by hatred of liberals. Um, it fuels me every day. I mean, I mean, as the, um, I'm joking about that, but the, um, as the cliche goes, and it really is true, um, you know, find find a job you love, and and you'll be you'll be practicing your hobby all the time. Yeah. Um. And that's basically what I'm doing. Um. I you know it's funny. I used to tell, well, in particular for college speeches, I need a bodyguard. I used to tell my bodyguard, starting with my third book. Okay, that's it. I got nothing else to write about. Um, mm. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'll write my columns. I'm done. And then something else would would strike me. Um, and I research it for a while and either decide I have a book or I don't. Um, and I mean, at this point, it's not so much that I'm done with with writing. I can think of a few other books I might want to write, but I don't think it's possible <laughs> to write a serious book about anything other than resistance is futile, which I do think makes a lot of good points. I managed to bring in other things, but that's really the only book that I can write as long as Trump is president. I was just talking to the editors of Breitbart about this, and it's just, it's a weird thing that it's, 
As long as Trump is president, it's going to be not only the exact same news every day, um, you know, sort of like the headline is, you know, Trump dictator, Trump, Trump, you know, needs to be impeached, um, Trump, Russia, that sort of thing will will be, um, which I cover in resistance is futile. that will be every day, but then there will also be some like mini scandal, and it changes day to day to day to day. Yeah, you can't yeah. even remember what the last one was. Um, well, I guess we're in the middle of the coronavirus one now. Yeah. Um, and before that, like a week ago, there was some incredibly silly scandal. Uh, yeah, what you're right. You can't it? remember it. <laughs> you can't even remember yeah. a week later. <laughs> He fired someone at Department of Justice or something. It was around the time of the Weinstein verdict. I remember them all being hysterical, and I was so annoyed that they weren't covering the Weinstein verdict. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, this, you know, you mentioned that you do your own research, and uh, you know, there's a a quote from you uh, from an earlier interview where you say, "For even one sentence or joke." Uh, you might have 20 pages of research notes to make sure the joke is right. <laughs> but That's another reason ghostwritten books are never going to be as good. Would you ever do that if your name wasn't going on the cover? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, I think this is really important because especially for this audience, as I know, you know, you do a lot of, uh, you know, political shows where it's you know, about current events of the day and polemics and whatnot. And, you know, this, this podcast, you know, has more of an academic audience, most who are probably liberal. Um, but, you know, uh, I know you have a book and if you must talk to a liberal, <laughs> well, we must talk to them <laughs> at this point. But um, if they're good progressive liberals, they're going to like my column from yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there's some really amazing, like Jimmy Dore's <laughs> amazing, I think. And there are some other people uh, on the progressive side that I, I think... Uh, uh, yeah, there are a few crossovers here who like. I remember when um, when it was Trump versus Hillary, obviously in 2016. Um, I, I, I live much of the time in New York, and I realized it had become like my full time job, going out to bars in New York City and persuading Sanders voters that Trump was was closer to Sanders than Hillary, and that's. Pretty much what I did in yesterday's column. I think Trump dodged a bullet by by not having to run against Sanders. I mean, both Trump and Sanders um, obviously have some problems. Mm-hmm. Not your typical presidential candidate, whether it's the you know dirty rabble rousing commie um, or the tacky aravist reality TV star. But the curious thing is, there are three main issues. Um, and I think the three issues that make them so popular um, are hating Wall Street, hating war, and hating immigration. Yeah. I mean, and immigration, technically what I mean is mass immigration of low-wage workers that is driving down the wages of the working class. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, it is immiserating the, the working class, and, and Bernie Sanders has talked about that. I think he believes it more than Trump does. I mean, Trump hasn't done anything. Um, if, if Bernie were the candidate, don't tell any of my readers, but I must say I might be tempted to vote for him because maybe he wouldn't betray his voters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that may very well be right. And I do definitely want to, um, after we sort of go over the the content of resistance is futile for the, you know, the listeners who may not be uh, familiar with the content of it, uh, because I think that 
you know, a lot of it is resurfacing again, except this time against Bernie as opposed to uh, against Trump. And, and we can certainly discuss that later. But I, the, the thing I want to really point out here because of, you know, the nature of this podcast and the audience is that, you know, I, I really don't think you get the intellectual recognition that you deserve. I think you've, you've created a substantial body of work. No, but I I get the feeling that it's it's a bit on purpose. It's like you you kind of look down on the intellectuals. You you don't care about their approval, um, you know. And you probably know that you know if you try to work yourself inside there, you know, you'll have a kind of ceiling in that world because of the inbuilt bias in academia. Am I right in thinking that? Um, probably. I've never really given it that much thought. I mean, I think my main objection is. Um, that you can't, you can't tell jokes. You have to be very <laughs> serious on one hand, on the other hand, and I just think that would get boring after a while. Yeah, that you know, that's a that's a very interesting point because I was I was going to to say that uh, later on, but I, I guess I might as well bring it up because it's coming up naturally in the conversation that. You know, you you really do have a lot of serious arguments about race, about history, about you know, um, like I, I don't I don't know if I should call it revision historical revisionism in terms mm-hmm. of like McCarthy, you know, um, yeah. McCarthy period, um, all you know, liberal psychology, um, you know, m- uh, mob behavior, really, really serious, um, substantial analyses you're doing, but you kind of deliver it in this almost like Dadaist way, this kind of absurdist way with, um, you know, you have these hilarious, shocking one-liners. You're kind of like Lenny Bruce of, of you know, of right-wing. Thank intellectuals. you. I, I, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I, you know, let me see. One of them I remember, like, after 9-11, uh, when you were famously on Fox and said, you know, we should uh, invade their countries, kill their leaders, and convert them to Christianity. It was like, what? What did she say? What was that? And I mean, but, you know, implicit in that, I believe, I mean, I don't know how much you... you that be- was a good one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much you believe that literally or not. But the point is that that it was, a, I think, is a... a an amazing critique of the absurdity of war in this postmodern age. I mean, what is what is a war on terror? When do you win? Who who gives up? Yes, boy, what? have yeah. we learned that? <laughs> Absolutely. Boy, oh boy, twenty years into the war in Afghanistan, and none of us have any idea what we're fighting for. We're sending troops who weren't born when 9-11 happened. I mean, I actually really, you know, totally approved of Afghanistan the first, say, I don't know, three months. Let's give it a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and pretty much the same thing with Iraq. I was, I was very enthusiastic about the war with Iraq, not because of weapons of mass destruction, incidentally. Um, I only cited that to taunt the New York Times um, <laughs> because it was the New York Times that always said, oh, we would just send you know, the UN. We knew the UN. The UN will prevent war. And we'll, say, well, okay, but what happens when a country defies the UN? Um, and Iraq was defying the event, but it was more the idea that we'd have, um, an, an Arab Israel, a democracy in that, in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, whether they divide things up as, as maybe they should have, 
um, or, or, or had some kind of republic. Um, just a democracy, a functioning country without, without a crazed leader. It wasn't like Saddam Hussein was, um, oh, gosh, we made a mistake. We took out the George Washington of Iraq. Um, he, and we know that he had used weapons of mass destruction um, on his own people, on, on the Iranians. Um, so there are plenty of reasons to take him out and, and not a lot of good reasons to keep him. But it went on and on yeah. and on. I mean, I was a little bit sympathetic because, you know, we're, we don't want to be seen as the great Satan. We're going to have a light footprint. And, well, the problem with the light footprint is the war is going to take a whole lot longer. Um, but, no, that, that should have been quick in, quick out, too. Um, now seeing what, 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 what has developed there, I mean, I, I, I do blame Obama more than I blame the initial idea of Iraq. Um, which I think was a humanitarian mission. Um, but seeing what's developed, I mean, I say this to all of my friends, all of us were, were not all of us, but a lot of us, the ones who were for the war in Iraq. Um, would you do it again? No, of course not. Of course not. And yet, now I understand um, the lefties who used to accuse us of being warmongers and neocons. I see that some of my allies... Um, do want permanent war, my, my erstwhile allies. Yeah. Um, they do want to go to war every place. And I think that was one of the great victories of the Trump, of the Trump, Trump winning the election. Um, I, I think that was the American people saying, no, enough with remaking the Middle East, enough with, with sending our best men around the world. We've been helping everyone for for, for 40 years now, can we have a little me time? Our middle class is suffering. Our working class is suffering. Our social programs are falling apart. Our veterans um, don't have aid. Our poor don't have aid. We want you to concentrate. I mean, that was what was so beautiful about the um, um, Make America Great Again. In, not make Iraq great again. Not make Afghanistan great again. Although, unfortunately, then Trump gets in, and where is he? He's running off, to, you know, bombing Syria, go, going to North Korea. Hey, hey, Mr. President, could you yeah. get back to that country you were going to make great again? Yeah, and, and you could also build democracy in America, too. <laughs> yes. <I> mean, <laughs> yes. Because, uh, certainly exactly. it's not been going well. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's get to, to resistance is futile for the listeners who who may you know have instinctively recoiled at another Ann Coulter book. But I you know you have you, you have a very very interesting argument again that I get gets lost in a lot of the, the controversy. And could you um, summarize it for us? Well, in maybe a sentence or two, it's just that Trump so caused the left to lose their minds um, that, that they can't make the good arguments against him. And there are good arguments against him beyond the fact that they think <laughs> he's, he's an ignorant, shallow ignoramus with which many of us Trump voters will not disagree. Yeah. We voted for him for this basket of issues he was, he was offering to us. Um, I mean, look, there may be some number of people who voted for him because they saw him on The Apprentice. Um, that, that really wasn't me and my friends. Um, and I don't think it was how he took Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania. 
Um, he did this by offering something that neither the Democratic Party nor the Republican Party had offered us for, for 20, 30 years. Um, get control of the border, get control of immigration to raise working class um, wages. The trade issue was huge, huge. I mean, manufacturing from the 1980s, we've just wiped out the manufacturing base here in America. And now that we're all um, in hysterics over the coronavirus, how's that globalism working out for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Is that a great idea to have our food and medicine from China? I mean, if we do get in some sort of war with China, or do we have a gentleman's agreement? Oh, no, we'll, we'll keep sending you your aspirin. Don't worry about that. Absolutely. This is why Alexander Hamilton thought we should have everything we need made right here at home. I totally agree with Trump on that. I'm sick of these globalists and the Wall Street types who make lots of money on these global deals. Um, yeah, I just, I just feel like you know, like cold calling everybody at Goldman Sachs. How's globalism <laughs> going? <laughs> Anybody in your family have coronavirus yet? <laughs> How's your portfolio? Um, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So it was trade, immigration, oh, and no more war, as I described <laughs> in, in, in my column yesterday. Same with Sanders. Everybody said Trump was done in that, in that South Carolina primary debate. Um, I mean, he did say some dumb things. Yeah. <laughs> but he still went after Jeb Bush saying his brother had lied us into war. And that was um, just a huge mistake. The Iraq war, the audience booed him. Everybody, all the media commentators were saying, oh, he's going against the Republican Party attacking the beloved President Bush. And needless to say, his poll ratings went up. Yeah. One week later, the most, mil the most pro-military state in the Union, South Carolina, gives Trump all its delegates. Yeah. All uh its delegates. Finally, a Republican is offering us no more war, um, control of the border, get working class wages up. Um, bring back manufacturing, end these job-killing trade deals. It's not about tax cuts. And Trump gets in, and what does he do? Cut taxes. Yeah. And I'm not against cutting taxes. I have to keep explaining this to Republicans. I'm not against cutting taxes. I'm, I'm not against protecting little babies sleeping in their mother's womb. But Republicans have been giving us that forever. That wasn't Trump. Trump ran on these crucial issues, and he is, he is not particularly <laughs> fulfilled them. I will not, I will not say what I say in private conversations about <laughs> how he has treated those promises in office. <laughs> and, well, um, before we, we get to that part uh, in, in the book itself, yes, you, you deal with that. And, and what I find very interesting and important is basically what you are analyzing is the irrationality of the left. And, um, and I, I think this is... Yes, it would be so easy to beat this guy. Yeah. But they can't point out the real things Trump has done, so they have to make things up. 
I, I mean, just that, the, the, as I call it, the Access Hollywood tape, um, <laughs> the P-word tape, I, I mean, that's just a very simple example. It was a dirty trick. It was illegal to tape Trump. If he wanted to sue, he could. It's every bit as illegal as whomever hacked the DNC to get John Podesta's emails. Came out 11 days before the election. Um, and, and, and the media lied about it. Virtually everyone, I think, including the New York Times, um, certainly, certainly, you know, CNN and 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 MSNBC and 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 the Washington Post, by claiming that Trump had admitted to committing a sexual assault. No, yeah. he didn't. No, he didn't. Why can't look? He's a vulgarian. Yeah. He was talking about. You can look at the tape. He was talking about the cult of celebrity and how a celebrity can get away with anything and says, when you're a celebrity, you can do anything. You can, you can grab her um, P word. They let you do it. I'm sorry. I submit that sentence to the judge and I'm getting, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a dismissal. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not only the, the sort of, you know, lack of logic or the exaggerations. There's something more you're pointing to in the book. I think, um, you know, the hysteria, you know, like, you know, the, the Trump is Hitler thing, you know, that this is the end yeah. of the world. There's, you know, it, it, it's, it's even more than, than, you know, illo- you know, being illogical. There, there is this, um, I don't know, this kind of id. That, um, you want, uh, you want to ex- expand on that for? Uh, yes. I mean, the crazy thing about it is, that's what keeps driving Trump's voters back to him. Yeah. Every time I'm ready to write him off to go, you know, <laughs> sign up with Bernie. Um, I'm joking about that, yeah. but um, not entirely. Um, I'm ready to completely write him off. The media comes up with a ridiculous, overblown, outrageous attack on him, and they force me into defending him. I mean, that's why I pretty much don't even write about him at all anymore, because I'm not in the mood for defending him um, until he builds the wall. And, and, but, but, but the left's attacks on him are stupid. I mean, it's like you go into a doctor's office and they have those little rubber mallets. They hit you in the knee. That's what it's like when there's a ridiculous, lying, false attack on even someone I don't care for. <laughs> you, can't, you can't help but to say, he didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's basically the reaction. So the, the, the media on the left keep driving Trump voters back into his camp. Sometimes I wonder if it's a secret conspiracy because um, the Trump presidency is totally helping the New York Times. Um, you know, Stephen Colbert's show was about to be canceled. Um, MSNBC and, and, yeah. and CNN's ratings were in the crapper. Suddenly, as long as they attack Trump every night, everybody's making money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if they're purposely throwing the election because they're making money, but they're not making the right arguments. They've, they, and it actually seems kind of genuine. They seem to have lost their minds. The, the Hitler, the lies. I go through yeah. a lot of a lot of simple little lies, like the Access Hollywood tape, yeah. just just outright lies, and, the, and and then they try to bore us to death with the Russian collusion. Yeah, <laughs> which actually uh, you know makes up the bulk of your book. Actually, um, dealing with Russia Gate, Russia, 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 um, just like you know what what I suppose at the time of writing, you know the Mueller it was the Mueller probe going on, I think. It was still going on at the time you were writing of the book, wasn't it? 
I think it's been going on for the last 50 years. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I mean, so, so you were, you know, really dissecting it uh, there in your book and, uh, you know, um, and, and the, uh, what's, um, I mean, it, what's amazing is that it, nothing has been proven. The, you know, the, the probe is over, yet the Democrats are still holding on to it. Um, I, you yes. Know, and, and Normally now, when you write a topical book, and I usually don't write topical books, they're like larger theme books that yeah. may have, I hope, some sort of topical appeal as, um, you know, as a selling point, but it's a larger, it's the French Revolution, it's, it's the, the Cold War and McCarthyism. Yeah. Um, this was actually the last two books, In Trump We Trust and Resistance is Futile, were extremely topical books. It's about something that you would think this is a book you will want to read for the next six months. And then after that, you know, a few people may pick it up for, for as a matter of historical interest. No, (laughs) since I have written it, which is what, two years ago now, um, the arguments have not changed. The only book you need to read is resistance is futile because I do boil it all down. It's not the same old arguments. Um, I figure out how the whole Russia thing started. Um, the 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 quick flaws in the left's arguments on these things, and you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of the end, and I've certainly mentioned here, um, few tips for the left if you want to go after this guy. <laughs> <laughs> attack him this is my main point attack him for something he's actually done <laughs> yeah and, and what i find amazing in what's happening with bernie now is that uh the now they're saying you know uh you know it's russian talking points uh you know are helping bernie now and it's so it's a say it's it's you know, and and those same points you're talking about that that Trump stood on, and which were com- in common with Bernie. So, so it's it's as if these, it's both the personalities and the issues that are causing the establishment, both I suppose Republican and Democrat. But now we're seeing it, you know, totally in the Democrats. It's causing this irrational um, breakdown, and and Russia, Russia, Russia just seems to be um, the go-to explanation or, or something. Did you see Donna Brazil's breakdown? Um, I, you know, kind of meltdown on, um, I read about it. I oh, read about it. Yeah. That it was insane. You, you, you need to see it. <laughs> you, you would love it. <laughs> you would love, it was absolutely insane. The way she was saying, you know, she can go to hell and blah. it was. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I've always liked Donna Brazil. That kind of surprised me. Um, well, this week, particularly their argument on Russia has once again, I mean, it will look silly from now until kingdom can't come. Um, but this is a big thing with the media, the idea that money corrupts politics. I mean, if you look at the amount of money they're claiming Russia spent on these stupid Facebook ads, and they're claiming that compared to the whatever it was, I think it's $1.2 billion spent on the election by the two campaigns, um, not to mention you know, the media kind of sticking its finger on the scale. Um, what, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of Facebook ads? But even even if Russia had spent three trillion dollars trying to get Trump elected, um, look at the comparison of what Michael Bloomberg exactly. spent <laughs> exactly. to Joe Biden. I mean, just throughout history, throughout time, 
money never buys elections. The reason this myth keeps going is because the media make money off of campaigns buying TV commercials. They make money. It pays their salaries. So they don't want to give up this <clears throat> this fake idea. No, no, no. You got to buy commercials. Buy a commercial during during, you know, the Super Bowl, during 48 hours. Hey, do you want a commercial during the Rachel Maddow show? And the campaign consultants like it because they make money. They're like um they're like interior decorators who buy <laughs> really expensive antiques because they end up charging the homeowner a percentage of what everything costs. Yeah. So it's good for the interior decorator to run up the price of the antique, even if they could have gotten it at half the price. Same thing with campaign consultants. They, they make money based on how much money they raise and spend. Well, there really is not much money to spend if you just have like field organizers and humans you know, knock going door to door and you're showing up at the debates. It's the TV commercials that cost so much money. That's why the media won't admit that m- money has never, ever, ever changed an election. Exactly. Um, if you don't believe me, I will, I will yeah. invite I, you to I, tour. That's right. and it's, Jeb it's, Bush presidential library. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's it's also never made a blockbuster. You know, I mean, there, there, how many right. are there of of plowing money into you know um, ads for woke um, Hollywood movies that just bomb? You know, it, it, you're right. You're <laughs> right. Now, it, one of the things, well, not one. You several times in your book, for example, you you show how. This is not at all about policy positions, right? So, like, it's just whatever Trump likes, mm-hmm. even if the left liked it at one time, now they hate it. And if it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. and so, so they, they love the CIA and FBI now, all of a sudden. Right? Yes! And, and, <laughs> and, and they, you know, um, now they are, are pro-war, right? So if Trump is pulling out of Afghanistan or Syria, it's like the end of the world. It, it's... Oh, it's just- yes, they're anti-coarseness. Um, yeah, so yeah. usually it's supposed to be, you know, the blue-nosed conservatives. Um, but the weirdest one, you know, having written a lot about the Cold War and and Joe McCarthy, um, Algeria, and and so on, Richard Nixon. Oh my gosh! Now they want to fight Russia. <laughs> No, Not back insane. when Russia had the gulags, when they're sending, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn to a gulag, invading their neighbors, starving the Ukrainians. And no, back then, weapons pointed, yeah. <laughs> pointed at you. No, that's when Sting was singing, the Russians love, love. their children too. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you have this... Uh, um, you know, I, I love your little uh, titles and y- your subheadings and stuff. You know, Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 you know, this Orwellian doublethink. Uh, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it just points to the total irrationality of it. The, it, the lack of logic. You, you're not supposed to follow yesterday's argument for today, right? You just yes. race it and then whatever the position is today, you know, you 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 go to it with equal passion, you know. Um, and yes, it I, really I, is so Orwellian. I, I want you to analyze that a little bit more first, because I, I think you know you've looked at this kind of you've looked at this phenomenon in a lot of different ways, whether it be in the attacks on religion in Godless or or 
um, in race or uh, these other kind of irrationalities they have. You, you've analyzed this in many ways over the past two decades. And so I, I'd like you to bring to bear your uh, insights a little bit more on where does this come from? Um, the Trump case is unusual. Um, before before going before going broader, Trump for some reason just makes them lose their minds. And I shouldn't say for some reason. I there is a lot to dislike about Trump. I yeah. get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. Don't don't think don't think I didn't see that when I was writing in Trump We Trust. Um, but but the venom. It, it's gone to the point that I, I, I think, I mean, I mean take the immigra- immigration issue. Um, that absolutely, there were only two presidential candidates in 2016 who wanted to, to block, um, eliminate, certainly um, um, get it down to a trickle, mass, low-wage immigration. Um, and Bernie Sanders was beautiful on this point um, in an interview with Ezra Klein. Um, for my for my assiduous readers, they will be familiar with this quote. Um, Ezra Klein said at Vox said something about open borders, and and Bernie said open borders. No, um, that's a Koch brothers idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring in a lot of people, um, pay them three dollars an hour, throw Americans off their jobs. No, that's a terrible idea. That is that is a right wing idea. That is an idea to help the rich. Um, well, okay, the only other guy who was who was who was singing that tune was was Donald Trump. So it's very and not not only that. Um, I mean, it, it is kind of ironic that when Bernie Sanders left the Socialist Party to join the Democratic Party, he had to move to the left on immigration. <laughs> he had to give up that position. Um, but not only that, I mean, Harry Reid, not that long ago, gave a speech on the Senate floor, former former leader of the of the of the Democrats, Senate leader of the Democrats, um, denouncing the anchor baby policy. There's nothing in the Constitution about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if when you have two illegal alien parents, you're born here. That that creates an auto citizenship. Richard Posner, the most cited federal judge on the Seventh Circuit, he concurred in a case once for the specific sole reason to say Congress. This isn't in the Constitution. Pass on a law and put an end to this madness. Um, we were talking about all kinds of crazy incentives it's, it's, it's creating. Um, both, both Hillary Clinton, I believe, and definitely Barack Obama um, <laughs> said, we'll get control of the border. I think, I, I think um, Obama even attacked Bush for not closing the border. These were standard. There was a, I'm sort of like Amy Klobuchar. I happen to notice a video of her going around Twitter recently, where she's attacking Bush for not closing the border and saying yeah. we got to get control of our border. We can't just have illegals pouring across the country. To to go and, and I could keep going on, but it's probably getting boring. That this is a rational, sane. Um, logical position of the Democratic Party that pretends to care about the working class, um, that pretends to hate the right-wing capitalists always trying to drive down wages. That makes sense. But somehow, just because Trump ran on building a wall, and yeah, okay, maybe he said it in some stupid ways. He said everything in a stupid way. Get used to it. (laughs) Um, Suddenly, their position is going to be the exact opposite. Yeah, it's 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 madness. I mean, I think at this point he could come out 
and and oppose you know pederasty or okay. serial killing. Yeah. And oh. liberals would say, "We're for serial killing. We are for pederasty." Exactly. Or he could be for Medicare for all, and then they'd suddenly be against. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, um, I I want to. Uh, I guess challenge you or, or or put something inside here for you. Where I don't think that that the tr- this Trump phenomenon is wholly new, because had Sarah Palin become <laughs> vice president or or God forbid president, right? This I think You're the same right. the same thing would have happened. The way they went so crazy, and 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 Sarah Palin, he was That's a, a great woman. Point. He was a woman who had five children, who you know was in you know came from a working class background, and and then took on corruption in her own party, and also the Democrat. She you know fit in you know you know feminist um, you know tropes and, and you know what should be a, a female icon, and they hated her. You know, and and Tina <laughs> Fey got the Mark Twain the Mark Twain prize just because she did these stupid. Um, you know, stupid image of her. I mean, it, it was insane. Yes. It, it, uh, there, there was, it's very similar, actually. Weirdly enough, it, I mean, they seem like completely different individuals. Donald Trump, billionaire, or at least, I don't know, yeah. centimillionaire, um, living on Fifth Avenue with his this third model wife, yeah. and then Sarah Palin up in Wasilla, Alaska, very, very humble family, um, as, as liberals would have it, maybe a little, um, you know, a little hickey. Yeah. Um, that, but, but, but in fact, I think it is the same hatred, and this is how the left expresses its hatred of ordinary Americans, of what they would term the Walmart shoppers, the flyover country. And they can really let it all out with Trump because he's technically a rich man. He's technically a New Yorker. But what they hate about him, what Hillary was calling the deplorables, it is ordinary Americans they hate. They want to hang out with the famous people, the fabulous people, the Hollywood people. That is the new Democratic Party. Yeah, and and in fact, it's a... What I realized during that, you know, the McCain-Palin period with and Obama and whatnot, what it was was a tribalism. The left likes to think that it's rational, but it is absolutely tribal. Sarah Palin didn't have the tribal markers. She didn't speak with the, <laughs> yeah. with, with the right accent. She didn't read the right newspapers. You know, she yeah. she, she didn't go to the right schools. She was outside of the tribe. You know, and it, it's and absolutely and, and that's all and that's and trump is outside of the tribe you know yes. barack obama was king of the tribe you know it, it's, yes. it's, it's you know it, it, that's <laughs> that's it, it's pure tribalism and and so it has no rationality whatsoever it's just are you know do you are you displaying the tribal markers and and today the tribal marker is you know uh uh, what? Uh, no, no open borders, but tomorrow could be closed borders. If it doesn't matter, yeah. this is what our tribe believes today, and you better fall in line. And if you don't, we we're going to destroy you, and it drives yes. us insane. <laughs> yes, 
Yes, I guess the most I can hope for is that, that what you just said, that tr- eventually the tribal marker, it will have to co- turn around at some point. We'll come around to closed borders, and then we can finally help the working class. <laughs> yeah, then, then, exactly. <laughs> then you could join the Democrats. Right. Except it would help all the wrong people as far as (laughs) as far as the left is concerned. So there's no danger of that happening anytime soon. (laughs) There's another thing I'd like you to to speak on here. And uh, I just find it incredible that the Democrats, it seems to me that the Democrats are willing to plunge the world into possible nuclear war with Russia just to avoid blame for Hillary's loss to Trump in 2016. And it is, what do you, do do you agree with Very well put. Yeah. No, really, it's very well put. It's one of, I was just thinking that today. Um, Some of, some of my regular readers are getting testy with me for um, constantly pointing out that Trump is not keeping his promises on immigration. Um, And I was thinking, yeah, that's a good point. I should point out that he's not keeping his promises on Russia either. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. Um, I- no, this is actually very dangerous. I agree with you. And, and during the Obama era, um, I, I mean, Trump ran on having better relations with Russia. This isn't the Soviet Union anymore. They that's apparently right. don't realize that at MSNBC. Well, obviously, they do realize it or they'd be in favor of it. <laughs> that's exactly um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but this idea, this, 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 this saber rattling as if we're up against, against Stalin, for Pete's sake, I wouldn't want to live in Russia, but it's, it's just your basic corrupt country. It isn't. Your basic corrupt country with nuclear weapons. Um, I mean, part part of I didn't mention as the as the main basket of issues that I think um, got Trump elected. But what he was saying about Russia was absolutely correct. Why shouldn't we get along with Putin? Why shouldn't we get along with a country with nuclear arms? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great? Um, and it seems to me that that that. Instead of fighting a war that Ronald Reagan won 30 years ago, could we, could we focus on more of the current war, which is, um, if it's anything, it's Islamic terrorism. And, you know, Putin is an ally on, on Islamic terrorism. He's there, you know, side by side with us fighting ISIS. He's been dealing with these, these troublesome Islamicists. Uh, in in Russia, the Chechens remember um, Russia warned us about the Boston Marathon bombers, and our you know trusty FBI blew off the warnings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, to me, it it just, it just seems to be the the scary logical consequence of this liberal tribalism that that it will go so far, you know, towards self destruction, towards global annihilation. You know, they're yes. willing to shoot down planes, Russian planes in Syria, and, and trigger nuclear war. I, it, it, it's yes. just baffling. It's baffling. Yes. It, it, <laughs> it, it really is. Now, so, right. So, so, two years ago when you wrote the book about the resistance, um, so the argument should have collapsed, uh, and the resistance should have collapsed with... Um, with the, you know, debacle of the Mueller report. But, you know, but they're jailing Roger Stone. 
you know, and, and, and they're claiming, you know, that's some sort of a vindication of their position. Um, yes. Yeah. What, um, is the resistance still around? Is, is, I'm not sure. Is it? Um, it will never, ever, ever change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, until Trump is gone. Yeah. Um, no, it, it is still around. It's alive and co- kicking. And um, it would be great if they could come up with a new argument. But um, basically, the, the and we should probably end with this. Yeah. Um, the beginning and the end of the resistance is their, is their brilliant and novel observation. Trump is icky. well thank you for that (laughs) and and then as you say in the book it's trump is icky but they can't say that so they have to put the nation is an existential crisis (laughs) yes Yes. (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah i mean it's uh i mean your your book is and, and your whole body of work is is not only a delight uh and it's provocative. It's deliberately provocative. I mean, your your style is it, it, just the very shockingness of your style. I I think uh, is something worthy of analysis. <laughs> <It really laughs> Thank is. you. I appreciate that. It'll really knock the socks off any of your academic listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hope I have any uh, after this. <laughs> <laughs> after this. <laughs> but uh, no, I I really do urge. Uh, you know, listeners, especially uh, liberals uh, on the left, people who you know are, have this tribal hatred for you, because that's kind of what it is. It's an instinctive thing to, to really reconsider, uh, because your whole body of work, as I said, you know, resistance is futile is one of them, because you're looking at sort of the irrationality of the left and demonic about mob behavior, and you're going back to the French Revolution or or uh, treason or or um, which one mugged about race relations and, you know. And, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, um, who, who was it? Uh, oh, my God. I can't remember. Uh, and you said he was your new hero, the uh, court, Supreme Court Judge, Thurgood Marshall and whatnot. I mean, you. you um, oh, you know, yeah. 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 I, um, I mean, you, you really um, provide an entirely different, uh, well-argued um, understanding of American history and, and a historiography, I, I dare say, um, to, the, to the standard liberal one, which is very, very well researched, as, as we talked about at the beginning, where you do your research. And I think it's, um, it's, it would do people well to understand your point of view. And I, I really do think a, a kind of a I'm, this is not any sort of insult to you, but a, a sober analysis of, of your of your <laughs> insights, I, I think would would probably trigger people a lot less. <laughs> and uh, yes, I agree with you. And this has been really enjoyable. I thank you very much. And let me know when it's up, and I'll tweet it. Excellent. Uh, where can our listeners find you? AnnCoulter dot com right. um, and at AnnCoulter on Twitter. Any new books you're working on? No, not oh, for a while. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was a pleasure, and I hope to speak to you again in the future. Yes, thank you. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all for New Books in Politics this week. If you like this, 
Remember to check out my other podcast, Independent Thought and Freedom, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Also, if you are an academic that wants to get heard nationally, check out my free training at becomeapublicintellectual.com. Thanks, and see you next week.